So, I grew up, uh, not, I, I, I grew up, not, I guess for various elements, not necessarily at home, but I kind of was told that emotions are bad, that you should not analyze your emotions. Don't put too much weight on your emotions. And because the heart's emotions can be deceiving. And the go-to Bible verse that I heard multiple, multiple times growing up, especially when I was a teenager, was this verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful. So I'm like, oh man, I really like that girl, but my heart is, I don't want to fall into deception, so I'm not going to do anything. Right? So I shouldn't behave like this. I'm feeling this emotion, but I'm feeling super angry, but the heart is deceitful. So I should push that and should suppress that emotion. So anytime I had any type of emotion, I felt like I should suppress it because emotions and any type of anything I'm feeling is deceitful. So, and, and my heart might be wicked. So I don't, want to, I don't want to think with my heart. I want to be able to use my mind. So I just naturally growing up thinking, I need to not think that emotion. I need to push that down. I need to put my head down. I need to move forward. I should not analyze. I should not process that emotion in any shape or form. And let me just be this with all respect, with all respect to every version of Christianity. I kind of grew up too in the Orthodox church of thinking, or I was told that many versions of Christianity, especially those that are born in the past 500 years, are highly emotionally driven, are highly emotionally driven. How can we trigger people's emotions for them to be engaged in worship? And I felt like, I was like, well, that's kind of cool. But then I was also told, you know, true orthodoxy, true Christian, the walk of faith as a, as a Jesus follower is not highly driven by emotions. So then I'm thinking, okay, I see in the Protestant world, emotions being highly driven, and that's like the driving force in the agenda for many services. But then in orthodoxy, we, we, I, I, I kind of was exposed to saying, well, emotions are bad. I want us to be able to find the healthy balance because true orthodoxy, true first century Christianity entails us to be emotionally healthy. So we should not jump to one extreme or the other. We shouldn't say, uh, you know, all emotions are, are, I need to be purely driven by emotion. No, and I shouldn't go to the other extreme by saying, you know, all emotions are bad. Everything is, is deceitful. So, so don't follow your heart. Don't follow emotions and, and just suppress it. So we need to get out of the way these two extremes. This entire series, this five-part series is for us to be emotionally healthy right down the middle. For us to be able to share our emotions, how to process it, how to analyze it, and how I should respond to someone else sharing their emotions. What I'm about to say right now, I promise me, I promise you, I promise you, you would not believe me if I did not have evidence of this. But yesterday morning, uh, not yesterday morning, Sunday morning, a week from a week ago, a text came in. I didn't see it as well a lot later, but a text came in from my wife. This is a screenshot of the text. I got her permission, by the way. So <clears throat> this is her text Sunday at 830, as if I'm just like, you know, twirling my thumbs at 8.30 on a Sunday morning, right? So she sends a text at 8.30 on Sunday morning. Obviously, I didn't see this till a lot later. Here, here I'm going to read her text. It's just where you guys are taking pictures. That's why. <laughs> I hate getting her dressed and ready for Sundays. I'm talking about my daughter. She's wearing the same thing she wore the past three Sundays. I'm getting rid of her entire closet and wardrobe. Reward system does not work because we were talking about like, should we try this reward system? And so reward system does not work. I told her I'd let her wear her new shoes that have been in the box if she wears something different and she cried and had a fit. I yelled at her so bad, I felt like I almost went into labor.
I asked her again this morning, are you okay for me to share this in the talk? She said, sure, whatever. This was Sunday at 8.30 in the morning. Obviously, I saw the text a lot later. So we talked last Sunday night. I had an option as we talk about what to do with our daughter to be highly defensive and take it personal and take this very personal and, and be highly offended for her to, 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 to talk like this and to how she's processing this. Or I could have had the option, especially, I guess all this emotional healthy stuff is on my head. So I, I remember when we sat down on the couch on Sunday night and we're like, okay, tell me what happened this morning. I could have either neglected her and said, you shouldn't be feeling that way. Get over it. We only have one child. I could have suppressed her emotions altogether and said, you're complaining now. What are you going to do when we have two kids? I could have easily neglected. I could have easily pushed all her emotions to the side. But I said, okay, she is being emotionally healthy with me. She's being vulnerable. I cannot sit there and be defensive then if she's going to share her emotions with me. Then I need to be able to hear her out. I need to ask the follow-up question. I need to know this is not Sarah against Father Nate. No, this is we're on the same team. We're all on the same team. We just need to figure this out together. So I need to, her to process these emotions out loud and for us to think through it and process it all together. So this is an example in my life seven days ago. But if you go and rewind centuries and centuries and centuries ago, early Christians were trying to find that holistic balance of how to be emotionally healthy spiritually. And one person we've been looking at, we looked at uh, for session one, was a North African church father. His name was St. Augustine. He comes from modern day Algeria. And St. Augustine was so in his feelings, if you will. He knew how to process his emotions and he put that in his writings. And St. Augustine said these words, how can I know God if I don't know myself? How can I know what's the purpose of life? How can I know my why in life? I, I, I need to know myself so I can to know God. He, he was able to connect both all together. But as we talked about for session one, post-Christian America, we only focus on the bottom part. I need to know myself. I need to know myself. I need to be true to myself. Everything's about myself, myself, myself. I need to be the best version of myself. I kind of hate that comment. Like, I guess it depends how you interpret it, by the way. So I, I shouldn't just use the word hate like that. But how I see so many people interpret it, that it's all about myself, I, I do what's best for myself, the best version of myself. Man, what's, what's that based off of? Because anyway, I don't wanna go off on a rant, but I need to connect it to where I come from. I need to connect it to the founder of life. I need to connect it to the fullness of life. So St. Augustine is being so open saying, he's asking this question to himself, how can I know God? if I don't know myself. So he's looking very introspectively. Who am I? Because he wants to be able to, the more he's able to realize his flaws, his weakness, his personality, the more he's able to see who he belongs to. This is his question. This is his emotion. This is his prayer. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. He took his emotion, he took his question, and bridged it to a prayer. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, so I get to know you. So he was able to, 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 to connect the two together so beautifully. Again, I cannot emphasize this disclaimer enough. Be careful that we do not just focus on myself, my emotions, who I am, and that's about it. And we don't bridge it to something or someone who is transcendent. The fear is that we just keep it at knowing myself, knowing myself, knowing myself, and we don't bridge it to something so much more. This is the theology 
of post-Christian America, of just know thyself, be the best version of yourself, and not connecting it to the one in whom we belong to. So I, I cannot emphasize enough for us to be careful of that. There was a very eloquent writer and musician, a Jewish man, who was so, like, he is the epitome of being emotionally healthy, in my opinion. Besides Jesus, this man was perfect. But not perfect in the way of Jesus, but he was so good at being emotionally healthy. He was so in touch with his emotions, and he was a great musician and a great poet. And his name would be David. David. So David wrote a, a vast majority of, of a book, a Jewish book in the Old Testament titled The Psalms. He wrote a vast majority of those Psalms, 151 Psalms. And believe it or not, two-thirds, two-thirds of David's journal writings, not the, uh, the, let's, let's take a step away from the word Psalms for a second. Two-thirds of his journal writings, which today we know as being the Psalms, two-thirds is him yelling, arguing, frustrated, depressed, hopeless, two-thirds. Two-thirds, vast majority of his psalms are not, thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful day, and thank you for everything. Amen. No. Two-thirds of his writings are him venting and pouring out all his negative emotions and pouring it out to God, but it's not pouring it out and writing it in, in his journal and say, and, that's, and, and, and I'm going to enjoy my coffee. No. He wrote down his, 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 his anger, his frustration, his hopelessness, his depression. He wrote it down, and then he bridged it to the physician of his soul, body, and spirit. What a beautiful example. What an icon of what it is it was supposed to look like for us to be emotionally healthy. This is why in Psalm 12, he would say, how long, O Lord, will you forgive me? How long will you turn your face away from me? He could say that in Psalm 12. Then he could say in Psalm 23, you are my shepherd. He puts himself, like he's using what he's able to see in his environment. He says, man, what am I talking about? I'm a sheep. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd to guide me to turn, turn left to turn right. Lord, I, I, you are my shepherd. He can say that in Psalm 23. He can say in Psalm 117, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in. He, can, he woke up on the right side of bed and he was able to say, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in. Oh Lord, save us. So you see a wide array of emotions. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, we can find songs, we can find some of his journal writings, which resonate with us. This is why for centuries, for Jews, obviously until today, and, and Christians and all versions of Christianity, but definitely in the first century Christian, the fullness of Christianity, orthodoxy, we take the Psalms extremely serious. It is part of, of personal prayer, which we know is in the prayer book titled the Agbeya. It's part of communal liturgical prayer. It is part of inaudible prayers of the priest. Everything has its root and is anchored in the journal writings of someone who did so well on being emotionally healthy. St. Athanasius, um, a, a great hero of the faith, he said these words in the fourth century, praising with Psalms is medicine for the sick soul. Praying the Psalms is medicine for the sick soul. So if this has been tried and true, if the Psalms has been medicine, that which has been tried and true for 2,000 years, why all of a sudden we feel like mm, uh, praying the Psalms, like the formality of like church prayers, ugh, that's not for me. I'd rather just kind of be free-flowing. Yeah, you, you, you need that. Okay, you need that free-flowing for you to be, be able to open up to God and vent. But at the same time, why not capture the emotions and prayer 
of David's journal writings in which the church has given us and has emphasized and elevated for 2,000 years for us to utilize in our hymnology and liturgical worship and every aspect of our prayer for us to be emotionally healthy. All right. I'm going to share a list with you. False self symptoms. But hear me out on this. Please, please, as we go through these 15 symptoms, don't overthink it. Okay, first thing, don't overthink it. I'm going to point out these symptoms. Don't overthink it. Ask yourself, is that me? I think I have that symptom, right? Don't, don't overthink it. And definitely do not elbow the person next to you, okay? Do not elbow the person next to you. Here we go. So this, this gives us a really quick assessment of our, uh, to see how emotionally healthy am I? All right, we good? Hopefully nobody hates me after this. Number one, I say yes when I really mean no. Nobody look at anybody. Okay, this is for you. I say yes when I really mean no. I get depressed when people are upset with me. I have a need to be approved by others to feel good about myself. I act nice on the outside, but inside, I can't stand you. I often remain silent in order to keep the peace. I believe that if I make mistakes, I myself am a failure. Number seven, I criticize others in order to feel better about myself. Number eight, I avoid looking weak or foolish for not having the answer. Number nine, I have to be doing something exceptional to feel alive. I have to be needed to feel alive. I am fearful and can't take risks. I do what others want so they don't get mad at me. I use knowledge and competence to cover my feelings or inadequacy. 14, I put my children, I, I want my children to behave well to, uh, so others will think I am a good parent. The last one, I compare myself a lot to other people. All right. <sighs> I told you this series is gonna make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. This is good. We, are, we need to feel uncomfortable. We need to go inside, man. We're about to feel a lot more comfortable as the weeks go on, as we look at generational habits and how our family impacts who we are today. So we'll get into more to that. But we need to be uncomfortable through this. This is not a superficial, you know, serious, just to make you feel better and have a great day and enjoy your coffee. No, we need to be going a little bit deeper to get down to the core of who we are. We looked at last week, or sorry, two weeks ago, we looked at Saul. So Saul... You could see his bitterness. You could see his grudge. And it became cancerous. It got the best of him. It brought him down from his legacy. It brought him down from him being the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, from him being top dog. We saw how much it brought him down because he was not able to process his emotions and ended up hurting him tremendously. Today, I want us to look at David. David, uh, the, who, who wrote the Psalms, obviously, and here is a Coptic icon of him. You see him holding the harp there. And you see different elements of his life on the bottom. You see them here um, getting on top of Goliath, killing Goliath. And you see him here as a shepherd. So you see the, the colors, 
the style of this art is there to 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 uh, to, to to communicate various elements of David's life. So what makes David so amazing is that he was able to cut through so many different obstacles of his life for him to be emotionally healthy. He pushed through the victim mindset. He pushed through like, woe is me and that the party pooper and like Debbie Downer mentality. He was able to push through so many obstacles in order for him to be emotionally healthy. And I just wanted to highlight too for today. He was able to cut through some obstacles of his family. So get this. He's one of eight brothers, right? He's the youngest. And he was bullied and pushed down to like to no end from his other brothers. To the point that Samuel, the prophet, who was like basically the messenger, the representative of God, he's coming to, to, to see Sam, he's coming to see the entire family, he's coming to see all the brothers, and they're all there and they're happy to see Samuel and you know and 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 but the only one who wasn't even invited to that house party was David. David was, uh, was out, out in the field. I'm sure his brothers told him, hey, just go take care of the sheep and go do something else. They, he, they didn't even invite him when they had a very prestigious, honored guest come to his house. David was nowhere to be found in that picture. Another instant is that they had, the, the Israelites had this huge, huge battle against the Philistines. They had this huge battle to fight against the enemies. And they had this huge, massive guy. I think some historians would say he was about like nine feet tall, super tall guy. Uh, his name was, anybody know? Goliath. So it, they're about to fight him, and, and all the brother, all seven brothers are there. The dad is there. The entire army is there. They're trying to, to figure out how are we going to win this battle. Who was the only person that was not there was David. So I want to share with you. When David went down, he was kind of like, man, why am I the only one that's stuck at home, home alone? And everyone else is trying to figure out how they're going to win this battle. So he said, David's like, that's not fair. I want to go down. So David goes, and he's about to figure out what happened. So this is where we pick up here. When Eliab, David, uh, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. So Eliab heard seeing David. He's like, he's going to the soldier. Man. Hey guys, what's happening? What's going on? Are we about to win this war? Who's that big guy over there? Like so David's trying to figure out. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, some of the soldiers, he burned with anger. This is David's brother, Eliab. He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited and stuck up you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Like, this is the older brother talking down to David. Be for real. How would you, how would you respond? Right? You, you have been, always been put down by, by older siblings. Imagine if you were in, in David's shoes. You were always put down. Everyone always neglected you. Everyone always belittled you. No one had any confidence in you. You were always put down. And here David just curious, man. He's not, he's not causing any harm. He's just going down to the battlefield to see what's going on. How would, like, for real, how would you respond? Think about this for a second. You, your emotional state right now, how would you respond to that? David had every right to hold on to a, a, a grudge, a bitterness, and get, get back at Eliab, his brother. He had every right to talk back to him. He's probably like, enough is enough. You've made fun of me ever since I was born. Enough is enough. But how did David respond? Now, what have I done? Said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. He's David is trying to open a conversation. He didn't become defensive. He didn't run away. He's just trying, he's, he's to tell me, tell me, Eliab, what have I done? Did I do something wrong? He's trying to engage in that conversation. He's coming with humility. He, he's so emotionally grounded that he was able to entertain this conversation with his brother because his brother is continually picking on him, but it did not phase David. It did not phase him. He just continued the conversation. Did I do something wrong? Tell me. He's like, all right, whatever. You think I'm conceited and you think I'm sure. 
<laughs> David moves on and continues to ask other people in the battle what on earth is going on. Another obstacle in which David had to go through. He had to go through the obstacle of Saul. Saul, the one whom we talked about in session one, who was so broken, so emotionally unhealthy. It became so toxic to him. It hurt him. And I'm sure you've heard the saying, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. Saul was hurt. So anyone around him, it hurt other people. And who, I can't tell you, let me just pause. This is why the series is so important, my friends, like for us to be emotionally healthy. This is not only about you. This is about other people around your life. And this is for generations to come. This is for generations. If we're emotionally healthy, it can then continue on in your legacy, in your lineage. But it requires us to look inside and be serious and be stressed and uncomfortable at looking inside. Saul, if you just imagine, if Saul was able to get on top of his emotions and not be like keeping up with the Joneses and trying to impress other people, if Saul was true to himself of who he is as a man of God, it wouldn't have been so toxic and cancerous and it impacted the kingdom of Israel. So hurt people, hurt people. So Saul has continuously put down David to the point that he ended up chasing down David to try to kill him. But if we kind of rewind before we get to that point, David again was trying to figure out what on earth is going on in this battle. So David goes to Saul. David said to Saul, let no one else lose heart on account of this Philistine. He's saying, he's, what is David saying? Hey, Saul, I get it. All your guys are like super stressed out about this Goliath guy. And they're kind of just saying, let's just give up the battle. But but let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, me, will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So again, Saul is putting down Goliath. Here, the, the humility of David. He's saying, you're a servant. I will go. I, I know I am below you, but I'm coming. I'm proposing myself. I have confidence on what I'm able to do through God. And I'm coming to fight this. And how, how does Saul respond? Saul doesn't try to pick him up. Saul doesn't try to lead him up. No. Saul instantly belittles him, puts him down, and suppresses him. Many of you know what happens. David does win the battle because he understood the appointment in which God has called him to. He understood who he is as a man of God. He understood his gifts. He understood his strengths. And he was able to go with that zeal, with that confidence, and win the battle. One of my favorite things that David says after he wins the battle, like he, he understands, he goes to Goliath and says, you come, you come with your javelin, you come with your, your sword, you come with your equipment, but I come in the name of the Lord. He said, you, you come on with all your equipment, you, but, but what empowers me is beyond the biological eyes, is transcendent in what you see here. What empowers me is something so much more than that. So David obviously wins the battle. The headline, if there was going to be like a headline of David's life, to me, this is the headline of David's life. He knows his worth and value from God. He understood who he is. He understood who he belongs to. And he makes life decisions based off of that. He understood his worth. He understood his value. He understood his weakness. He understood his flaws. He understood his sins. But he understood what he has been entrusted with. And because of that, because of that anchor, this is what drives him to make life decisions. Purely off of that. This is what makes him a great man of God. This is why we honor him centuries later. This is why his journal writings is the platform of our liturgical worship. He wasn't easily triggered, right? Because if he was off edge, if he was emotionally unhealthy, anything Saul would say, he would snap. He would snap. He would be so triggered every time Saul would 
bully him and put him down, he would snap instantly if he was emotionally unhealthy. But it, clearly, David respects authority. Even when Saul is a jerk, David is still, being, is, is still honoring him and calling him your servant, and he's still being respectful to him. That's emotionally health. That's emotional health. And he cuts through the obstacles. He doesn't fall into the trap of being a victim, but he pushes through those obstacles because he knows who he is, as St. Augustine beautifully prayed in the, fifth, in the fourth century. There's this old ancient proverb, Jewish proverb, and this in the ancient Jewish proverb, this, uh, this writer says this, when you die, God's not gonna ask you, why weren't you Moses? Why weren't you David? Why weren't you like your coworker? Why weren't you like your sibling? God's not gonna ask you that. He's gonna ask you, why weren't you you? He's not gonna ask you, how come you weren't somebody else? He's gonna ask you, how come you weren't you? I have given you, I knitted you in your mother's womb before you were a speck. And I have this amazing plan for you, but you were chasing other people and trying to be like other people. But you were not who I beautifully designed you to be. I don't want you to be the best version of yourself. I don't want you to be the best version. I want you to be who God has appointed you to be. Because that, the best version of you, that's so relative. That's a low ceiling. Who sets that? Who sets that who, who's the best version of you? But why not connect it to the source of life himself? I don't want to be the best version of myself. I want to be who God has ordained me to be. And I want you to be who God has called you to be. Let that be your mission. Let this be our driving force. Nothing else defines you. David's past did not define him. The victim mindset did not define him. Saul did not define him. His seven brothers did not define him. By the way, totally off topic. He was the eighth brother. Eight is renewal, is new life. He was the eighth brother that set a new path, a new legacy for his family because he was emotionally healthy. That's why this is called the eight. Let us move in the direction of pushing past the victim mindset. Let us push past suppressing our emotions. Don't be the best version of yourself. Be the version that God has ordained you to be. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, I pray that we do not stop talking about emotions just at the eight or just in our life groups, but that we sit with ourselves, embrace the silence, embrace quiet time for us to sit with you, for us to hear you, for us to lean on the words of David and the Psalms, for us to find rest, for us to find comfort, for us to know we are not alone in our emotions. Lord, I pray that we can continue to analyze ourselves and bring that to you for us to be emotionally healthy. So much is on the line if we do not. Lord, we know that you have ordained every single one of us for a specific purpose. You have entrusted all of us with unique gifts and talents in which we give to you. 
in order for us to be emotionally healthy, in order for us to be the living icon of you, for us to be the hands and feet of you, for us to be able to hear those sweet words at the end, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit continues to guide all our life groups throughout the conversations that we're having about Saul, about David, for all of us to be able to process and analyze our emotions. Lord, I pray that we can come with a spirit of vulnerability, a spirit for us to open up and for us to assess emotions. Because we, we see in Saul what happens when we don't. Lord, we pray that we can follow in the footsteps of David, follow in your footsteps, Lord, for us to regain that emotional health in which you have called us to be. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.